Hello, friends, and welcome to Deep Shots. Today, Wade and I cover a show that we really, really liked. We take a deep, deep, deep shot on this one. The show is Fleabag. It's won a whole bunch of awards. It's on Amazon Prime. If you haven't seen it, you got to check it out. Check it out. Come back to us. Here are crazy in love with this show discussion we really thought this was a good one we hope you enjoy it we hope you enjoy our podcast and the podcast starts in three two one go what's in the box what's in the suitcase what's in the box deep shots Hey everybody, welcome to Deep Shots. How's everybody doing today? Wade, how are you doing? I don't know if I should ask how everybody is doing. It seems <laughs> kind of stupid now that I said it out loud and it is recorded. You're um, definitely not going to get a response from everybody. Yeah, well, there's a lot of voices in this big head. Maybe one of yeah. them will actually say something back. Yeah. No, but I am doing well, Slavic. How are you? Yeah, sorry, I digress in some kind of matter there. I, the intro is way too long. Uh, I am doing well, too. Thank you. Uh, everybody good at the Wade household? Everybody's feeling good? Yeah, uh, everyone's doing well. Um, spent the weekend, you know, renovating, or not renovating, but organizing the basement, you know, doing organization, getting rid of stuff. Feels good. You know, yeah. It feels good. How, like, how's everyone at your place? Like two oversized bald peas in a pod. Well, I am doing the exact same thing you are, organizing my basement. Mm-hmm. Got some old games out, air hockey table that I poked every hole with a toothpick, which is, it could be construed as torture in some circles, I think. And then, tedious, seems. And then uh, got a pool table moved, which, you know, that was... Um, that took some energy there, some brain power there. Uh, I don't understand why it's so expensive to have. I guess it is time-consuming to come and just move it a little distance or a big distance, but I was surprised by how much they were charging me to just move it five feet. Yeah, well, you're probably getting, what, four dudes, and, yeah, you got to pay freight there, freight back. It, you know, shit adds up. It's two dudes, I asked. Like, what are you bringing, like, four or five guys? And they're like, just two. <laughs> It's like, man, this that's, is really expensive. That seems seems like overkill. Two guys seems I mean, like overkill? Or, or no, no. Cost? $400 for two guys for to move a pool table five feet seems overkill. Seems like a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think there's that many people that can move a pool table. I think that's where you run into the problems. Yeah, just get a couple of big dudes. I think you can do it. But, yeah. Huh. All right. This is going to be edited. <laughs> Get a couple of big dudes. Okay. I don't think you should edit it. I think we should talk about what you think is a big dude. Well, so today's episode, I got to give you credit. In the last episode, you'd given me basically two shows that I had never heard of. We had never talked about <laughs> out of the blue. It seems like whenever I talk to you, I get show assignments but this Fleabag one, I watched it the first episode that night. And I got to give you credit. This show was pretty special uh, as far as shows go. It's not, I can't put it into a genre. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen a show ever like this. 
I mean, it has some issues. It has some faults. It's definitely what we've talked about before as far as a sitcom or these shows. It's really, like, in fantasy. Like, I mean, it's it's not based in reality of, like, life to life. Kind of like what we talked about, friends or, you know what I mean? It does stretch the envelope in that regard a little bit. I don't think it's, I think it stretches it way less than Friends does. Yeah, when she turns to the audience and starts talking to us, or um... well, that's her, that's her inner monologue. But you know, the the I don't know, the events on it seem less grandiose than something that happens on Friends. You know, mm. getting stuck in an ATM vestibule with Christy Turlington or whoever that was on that one episode. But okay, I have no idea what you're talking about. Screeching stop. <laughs> but the 30 minute dramedy is kind of this newer genre of show that I, I don't want to say sh- uh, Fleabag created it, but it's definitely been more and more prevalent these last couple of years. And again, yeah, dramedy, it's this kind of beautiful mix of drama. And on this end, it's very black comedy, very dark humor. And it just works. It, it there, there is, like you said, a lot of turning to the camera early on, and if you if that's something that's not your cup of tea, which typically it's not mine, I would urge you to stick with this show because it definitely develops. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, again, the, the, the creator, writer, director, uses it to great effect throughout the show, and again, it evolves throughout the show, and we'll talk about that. I was really blown away by the first season. But the second season is where it really upped its game for me. And we'll talk about kind of the differences in the seasons as we go along here, too. It's just a fantastic show. Fantastic show. Yeah, the difference, I mean, the season one, season two, definitely different. But it didn't make, I I thought both of them equally represented something very well. Like, I I just thought her character goes through a lot in both, both seasons and... It's messy and and disgusting and fun. But the thing that's powerful about it is, you know, I'm by no sense a social expert in this, but that it's a female lead that's doing what she's doing. Because typically the way she talks, the way she carries herself, the way she talks to you as an audience, which I think is... Really, her sharing her subcon her her conscious right her the way she's thinking, mm-hmm. it's just really kind of cool that it's this attractive, smart, intelligent woman that's doing this, but isn't afraid to show her faults and her her need for sex and her difficulties with her family and and I don't know I, it was just for me on the outside looking in it was just a very New role, and I compare it a lot. And this is silly because I'm like all over the place, but we're we're also doing WandaVision, right? And how mm-hmm. we're kind of surprised by how well what's her name Elizabeth Olsen is doing there with all these different comedy dramedy type things, but this is on a whole nother level, right? Oh yeah, for sure. It, it's even more in depth. It it's got way more. I don't even know if nuance is the right word. It's, it, there's just way more fluctuation in the mood and the emotions that she's portraying throughout it. She says it herself in that very first episode 
she's a, a greedy, perverted, selfish, apathetic, cynical, depraved, morally bankrupt oh, woman. You're stealing my quote, dude. Who can't who can't even call herself a feminist and. I mean, it's just she she gives you that exposition of and again, all these immensely different descriptions. But you see all of that through through the episode and a lot of it you see in wordless glances at the camera. And it's it's just phenomenal, phenomenal depiction. Going back to the women in this kind of role, these new roles, I love that it's not forced down your throat you know what i mean like it's Mm -hmm. she's she's who she is and and it's on display the good the bad the ugly and just that scene too where she it's the first episode and i don't are we getting into spoilers because i feel like we're we're moving real fast so before we get into that but you were saying that quote and there's just this really great thing at the end because she has a really interesting relationship with her father I have a daughter, so I'm always like, <laughs> like looking at it, like, how would I react in these situations? And mm-hmm. and I just thought, I think he's he's kind of a beat man in a lot of ways, but in this instance, he really kind of gives her one back, and it's it's tender and sweet. And she goes and kind of dumps this big baggage on him. In his response, well, so let me read what she says. She says, "I have a horrible feeling that I'm a greedy, perverted, selfish." apathetic, cynical, depraved, morally bankrupt, grown-up woman who can't even call herself a feminist. And then there's this long pause, and there's this dad, and he's looking at her, and he goes, well, um, you get all that from your mother. And I thought that was just so freaking beautiful. Like, it was just so on point. And then she kind of shrugs it off and gets the humor of what he says and says, good one <laughs> and i thought that just one of my favorite it was and i can't believe you spoiled it the way you did when we, when you just kind of rambled that off because it's one of my favorite scenes out of the whole um series the relationship with her father it's so interesting because i think he sees a lot of his wife who's unfortunately passed in her so he kind of he knows how to push her buttons he knows when to push and pull and and kind of stay back from her and I don't know. It's just very interesting. So sorry, yeah. we got we got ahead of ourselves a little bit there. Yeah. So let's go back and say the show's on Amazon Prime. It first debuted in 2016. The second season is in 2019. Wade, do you know is there going to be a third season? I think Phoebe has said if the spirit moves her, she would have a she would do a third season. But for now, she doesn't have any need or want to revisit the character. But you know how these things go. You know, if there gets enough clamor around anything and there's enough money on the table, I think people will revisit it. I would love there there to be a third season, but I also think the second season ended perfectly. Well, so the nice thing about this investment into the show is that it's not it's only 12 episodes total season 1, season 2. And they're what twenty five to thirty five minutes long. I, I don't even. Yeah, I, don't, I think some of them are like twenty twenty one minutes. I mean, they're real short. Yeah, and there's like a ton packed into them. It's pretty intense. Like, it's funny. The first time I was watching it, she was saying some of these things, and I was like hitting pause on the TV and like, what did she just say? Like, 
I'm not sure that made me feel all that comfortable. Yeah, that's it's not a it's not a comfortable watch. Uh, I mean, again, if anybody's still with us who hasn't watched the show yet, it's it definitely puts you in a level of discomfort throughout. Uh, I think the second season becomes a little bit more comfortable, but the first season, boy, there are some cringe moments. But you got to stick with it. I'm telling you, it's worth it. But I, the one thing I wanted to mention is this show was originally based off a play that she did. Uh, just it's a one woman show, and actually Rochelle and I were lucky enough to it, she, it was basically just ran in London and in New York, but they had a, a filmed version of it that Rochelle and I had to drive to Canada up to Niagara Falls to catch it on a, on a theater up there, and the the one woman show if they ever I think they had it on Amazon at one point as well. It's it's really interesting. It's a little it's it's darker than it's only really the first season of the show. And it's actually darker, but it's uh, very interesting to watch her do the show and and see how that played out into the series as well. Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see that. Do you know if it's like on video somewhere or anything like that? Again, I I know it was on. You could buy it on Prime, so I think it's on Amazon, but it's not for free for Prime. You have to pay the extra like you would when you buy a movie. Yeah, I think that would be kind of neat to see it. Raw. I would take that as a raw version of it. Before we get into anything else, I just the the story of this show, and I think it's it's laid out pretty well here in IMDb. It's that a dry-witted woman, known only as Fleabag, has no filter as she navigates life and love in London while trying to cope with tragedy. The angry, grief-riddled woman tries to heal while rejecting anyone who tries to help her, but Fleabag continues to keep up her bravado through it all. It's just an interesting show an exploration, a kind of grief and loneliness and forgiveness. And I say all those three words and it doesn't sound like a fun time. Yeah. I think you're missing a major component of it too, but it's, but it's wickedly funny, but to, and so this is kind of where I wanted to get in to is, I mean, what, what portion of this show did you, were, are you there for what? What part of this this show spoke to you? Well, I want to add one more thing: is that she's list off those things you said again about her, because I'm going to add something. You did you missed grief, loneliness, and ultimately forgiveness. Yeah, but she's also evil. I mean, maybe evil's too strong, but she's not exact. She's a flea bag. I mean, she is yeah. just a shit to a lot of different people, and it's she's obviously very. She doesn't know what to do with herself, so she seems to project a lot of bad things to a lot of other people. And she abuses some of them pretty hilariously. Like her first boy, the boy, well, not her first boyfriend, but one of her boyfriends she's with is played by Hugh Skinner. His name's Harry. And there's this first episode interaction where, because one of the themes throughout the show is that she's completely addicted to sex, right? And, or, or at least, maybe not sex, but wants to be accepted and, and, and touch and so she's masturbating on the bed and he sees it and he she's where she's watching Obama I think. Yeah, yes. I was about to say you're 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 burying the lead there that she's masturbating to an Obama speech. <laughs> Obama's speech and here she goes masturbating. Boyfriend next to him sees it and he like storms out of the room and like he's like don't say anything. Don't say anything and and the, and she's like, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. And then at the like, you're like, why is he leaving? Like, why is he so? I like, it's just very bizarre. And he's it, they show him being like overly sensitive and 
a little mm-hmm. bit of a, uh, I don't know, for lack of better words, wet behind the ears, m- maybe mm-hmm. doesn't have a, the same sexual drive that she does. But in this moment, of course, he has this great line where he's like, I'm taking the posh shampoo. Don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, then you later on, you realize that he did, he left like something for him to come back. So I don't know. It was, it's, it's, it's an interesting, I, I kind of lost where I was heading with that. So what did you ask me? I said, what part of this show are, is, do you think is, is more for you? Are you there for the laughs? Are you there for the drama? Are you, I mean, what, what, what spoke to you more? So I guess, you know, it's, it's silly, but I really thought that this was a really awesome human story. Like it was just, so maybe that means the drama. Cause I think ultimately it's all just one big messy drama. I thought it was funny. I thought a lot of it was over the top. A lot of times I think these shows like to throw some of the hook, line, and sinker stuff, the big the big hooks into try and like the anal jokes that she was doing and, and, and things like that. Yeah, those are funny. But that quite honestly, I, I thought I just really enjoyed this this idea of getting into her thoughts and understanding the humanity behind it. And just how raw her thinking was. It wasn't like, I don't know, there was times where she was very confident in her thoughts. And then there was other times where she was very like, I don't know what to do. I, you know, and, and yeah. that was really kind of human. And, and especially in season two where, where a lot of her thoughts are pushed out to the surface. So she doesn't get to break the fourth wall. She, um, I, I, I thought it was just very humanizing, and I think that's what brought me back to the show. I, yeah, I agree, and that's I was we we were talking a little behind the curtain here. Slavic and I were discussing whether or not we should do just the first season or both seasons combined, and we were discussing how many how, how many things we wanted to discuss, and in the end. My list is more around the relationships and, again, the more human aspects of this show. While there is, again, this show is wickedly funny and so many punchlines, they just, one, they're never going to be as funny as with Slavic and I delivering oh them. Oh, my God, no. Two, two the, 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 most of them are punctuated by her exaggerated features you know she's got these really curious eyes and this it's a different shaped nose it's not odd but it's it's a uniquely shaped nose and and the smile that perfectly sell all of these emotions and i i've got notes upon notes upon notes of punchlines but in the end the the human aspects of this story or what i what i'm drawn to and what i want to talk about tonight yeah, no, I don't disagree. I think, you know, we did, I have lots of notes. I, I rewatched the episodes, but the, especially the second season, you end up pulling for this relationship. And, and I have we given the spoiler flag that we're going to start spoiling stuff? Because it's going to no. get, pre- yeah, but we should, because we should, we're going to get in, we're going to get into it. And, I, and so, the second season really kind of tackles some interesting social things. There's 
this overarching story of her father and the grandmother, or I'm sorry, godmother, who's played by Olivia Coleman, who is in one of my favorite movies of all time, Hot Fuzz. Thank you. <laughs> you sold that to me in a text uh, about a week ago when we that? were discussing that, and I had to look back at the IMDb, and I'm like, is he talking about Hot Fuzz, for <laughs> God's sakes? Because I knew you hadn't seen The Favorite, which she actually won an Oscar for. Yeah, anybody but... can win on those. She's great in Hot Fuzz. <laughs> so in the second season, there's this story about your dad remarrying somebody. It does lend an interesting dynamic, and that's kind of the overarching thing that's happening. There's also a interesting thing with the, the sister and this whole idea of having babies and and letting your husband know or not know and, and all these other things. But it does tackle this interesting social construct that I think is slowly being destroyed is the idea of priests in the Catholic Church not having sex but not being married, not being in, in relationships. And the show does a real nice job of sharing their connection. They have this amazing connection. Unreal chemistry. Unreal chemistry, right? And it, it's hard to, when the, the credits roll on the last episode, you're like, oh, crushing, crushing. <laughs> the first season doesn't do that as much because she's still kind of a shit. Like, she's still doing really stupid things. And even when people are doing stupid things to her, nobody really believes her or wants to help her because she's she's done some really dumb things. Yeah, what was really interesting to me was, like you said, in the differences of the seasons, season one was, was actually kind of this almost mystery box kind of construction in that you obviously see from the get-go that Phoebe has some damage, but you don't know what it is. And they really do a good job of, especially, it, it hits you over the head in the first couple episodes. Every time she has an interaction with somebody, they start off or end it with, are you okay? And they give you bits and pieces. You know, we, we, we learn that her friend has died. Obviously, we also find out she's motherless or her, her mother has died at some point. And you see this kind of stil very stilted relationship she has with her father and this very odd relationship she has with her sister, played brilliantly by uh, Cyan Clifford. Um, she's this uptight sister, you know, married to this drunk alcoholic. But the greatest Claire line is somewhere, I think it's in the first season, she, <laughs> Claire, Claire says, I haven't farted in three years. I mean, that's just like the perfect encapsulization of her character she's just very tight and very prissy but that leads to this mystery box of really what what happened to her and we finally find out that she's carrying this emo this incredible guilt that she feels like she's responsible for the death of her friend because she slept with her friend's boyfriend so we end that season on that note with that exposition that she's did a shit thing to her friend. But the second season is kind of just this love story. And there's still a lot of that baggage. And she still hasn't resolved those relationships with her family until late in the season. But it's they're kind of two different constructs entirely with the same emotional beats and the same looks at the camera. But those looks at the camera kind of evolve 
through the seasons. And it, I just, it's, it's just brilliant to me. I, I, I don't know how many times I'm going to say that tonight, but it, it's, it's just very, very unique watch, very unique depiction of, of these feelings and emotions. Yeah. Season one has this really interesting thing with, so for me, the worst part about season one is this friend, this cafe friend, Boo. I just don't connect with her very well and the way they do it where you understand that she's dead and it would have been enough for me that she was dead. I didn't need the thing with Phoebe cheating on her because it just, it's like one step too far. Can you imagine you're with this friend that you start a cafe with and you're sleeping with the man? It just seem a bridge too far i mean it just it shows the the depths of her depravity she's you know things happen when people drink and so and and, no so i don't agree with you there so the reason i don't is because the way i understand it is she's acting out this way because of her friend being she killed herself her mom dying now she's kind of having these issues. It takes away that there's one more thing in my eyes. But it does give them the dynamic of when Martin tries to kiss her, nobody really trusts her. But I mm-hmm. still think it's it's just one line too far. Cause it, and that's just my criticism of the show. I'm, I'm just throwing something. It just seems like close friends that start cafes don't have affairs with boyfriends like that. I, that, that just didn't fit what, what right with me. And it was enough that she tried to hurt herself. It didn't work out to get the attention of this guy and end up killing herself. That was enough. I didn't need the whole, I slept with, with you or didn't sleep with you. No, I, I disagree just because that's, that's the guilt that's this, the guilt that she carries is what drives both seasons it's she's so she's so ashamed of it that she can't even confess confess it to uh you know a man of the cloth she does confess she's she does when they're in the confession no she doesn't she does say i no she doesn't i thought she did yeah i thought she says she doesn't and and the reason and the reason i feel she doesn't is because she's happier when she's sad she that's why she i i think she pushes people away and they they really hit on that in that flashback to her mother's her mother's uh funeral and that and they they keep talking about oh you look you look beautiful you look scene. beautiful and i i i just think that's an embodiment of her personality is that she's she's not comfortable unless things are fucked up mm. I didn't get that read off that. I didn't get that read that she's she's just a person that's hurting. It's not that she feels better. It is glorious that they're complimenting her at the funeral for looking so good. <laughs> it's hilarious. But, you know, I don't think she feeds off it. I think it's a reaction to the things that are happening to her. Just like this <laughs> this man toy that she's dating or having. I, they're not dating. They're, it's sex, right? And she's willing to do anything with him because, because she's like, for lack of a better term, she has some PTSD from the shock of her friend and her mom dying so close together, that you know she's trying to cope. And it, and it, 
She does have she ha- does have some good moments. She does have some bad moments. But she's pretty smart about her condition. And I and I point to uh, when she meets with the counselor in season two. She basically tells the counselor exactly what's wrong with her. She's giving an assessment of herself that's she knows she's been dealing poorly with her friend's death and dealing poorly with her mother's death and she copes with it by having sex and by telling jokes there's this great moment where she, <laughs> she tells her that the that she's extremely horny and that that scarf she's wearing isn't helping which i thought was just super witty <laughs> and the other the other thing in that scene that's it's interesting is she thinks of us as her friend because the counselor's asking her about the friend, and she goes, I have friends, and she winks into the camera looking at us. Yeah. But I don't think she's... Yeah. You, you you brought up the point that she's, like... I don't know. She feels happy when she's sad, but I don't think that's right. I think she's in mourning. I don't, I don't, know, she, I don't know if she's happy when she's sad, but she's more, she's more comfortable in that state. And because you, you see certain times when she, things start to get better for her she's she'll push people away or she she'll stir some shit but so i have a contradiction to for you for that right so that dude in the beginning that's that they meet on the bus and he's played exceptionally well (laughs) his character title is bus rodent bus rodent which you know i don't like knocking on anybody's physical attributes but he has some interesting teeth Right? To say the least. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yes. So she pushes him away. She pushes him away. She He comes back. He comes back. But then ultimately he leaves her and tells her, like, I know what you're thinking. I got these teeth. I'm no good. But he ends up, mm-hmm. like, taking advantage of her because she's pretty vulnerable. I don't know. I When I hear you say that you think that it's because she just likes being sad, I don't. I see a lot of good in her throughout a lot of the things she does. Now, some of it's juvenile and mischievous and like stealing the sculpture from her uh, godmother. That's, that's just hilarious all around. But I don't know. I, I tend to think she's human, right? So she has some good things, some bad things that she's dealing with, the loss of people she really loved. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. But I, I guess it's just different interpretations of, of, her, of her actions. The one thing I really wanted to discuss, and I, you know, I can't believe we haven't dove deeper into it yet, is you mentioned already the, the fourth wall breaking. I, I think that it's the the first scene of the first season. While it's incredibly funny, I was a little bit worried about the narration and and how she's she's really telling this this joke about her massive asshole <laughs> um, <laughs> through through these scenes. But but how that again the breaking the fourth wall and talking to us or just winking at us uh, or just giving us giving us a look how that really just embodies everything that she is about I just I just thought it was really brilliant and you know the these it first starts is just kind of we're being on being a part of inside jokes with her the the way she looks at us when the tooth guy is or the bus rodent is talking to her you know she kind of gives this look like she's kind of disgusted by him but at the same point can't turn him away depraved and it can't turn him away she wants sex at the dinner with what's 
what's that boy toys name? He is the arsehole guy. They they they're asking her, "How did you guys meet?" And she looks she looks at the camera and says, "Fuck me up the ass." <laughs> yeah. But there's all these these jokes that she tells, and it, it starts as a very funny thing, but then I think it becomes kind of an acknowledgement of her sadness because no one else will listen to her. That's true. You know, again, some of the some of the looks become a little bit more desperate and desperate. But I th- I thought the interesting ones were, some of the more interesting ones were, like you said, she, in that therapy scene, were acknowledged as her as her friends. She says, "I have friends," and she winks at us and says, "They're always there for me," or "They're always there." And, but I also thought that was interesting when the and during a flashback scene, they at the at the silent retreat with, with Claire, they start to show you, she, they, the, the counselor is saying, you know, let's go to a moment in your life that you're ashamed of or something like that. And they start to show when she's having sex with the boyfriend and she waves us off like, nah, that's not, that's not cool. We're not going there right, right. now. Not for you right. right now. But then the looks also become just kind of a source of connection to the hot priest, Andrew Scott. Mm-hmm. In the second season, he can recognize it, and he's then she starts kind of confusing her real life convos conversations, and and versus talking with us, and he starts to recognize it, and I just that's one of the most exhilarating scenes in the entire entire run of the show, when they're sitting at her cafe and he notices it and keeps saying you you keep going somewhere, and then she looks at the camera and says it's nothing, and he looks back at the camera and goes ah you know like. I just I loved that and how that developed. Yeah. But the the two most powerful moments of kind of breaking the fourth wall are at the end of the first season when she has that fight with Claire. When Claire kind of she's expecting Claire to to be leaving Martin, but Claire just I guess has some form of epiphany that she needs to stay with Martin, and she says I I, I can't believe you because you know because of what you did from what you did to Boo, and that just makes. Phoebe unravel and she she tries to run from the camera and and again she's trying to run from the fourth wall and doesn't want us right. there and she kind of turns a couple of different ways and the cameras are there and she wants that escape but she can't she can't get it she can't escape this life she's well been that's living. why I think it's her thoughts right I mean when her sister does that to her and that's a powerful scene yeah. because it's a yeah. betrayal up until then you start to imagine that her and her sister are starting to get along the first episode they're in that weird feminist thing where they're the only two ones girls raising their hands when when the feminist leader asks who would give up five years of their life so that that to be beautiful basically and they both raise their hands so a little shallow moment but since then up until that moment you're you're thinking her and her sister are headed towards better greater pastures right and then when her sister cuts her down like that that when I saw that she was running from the camera, it was her, just like when you're told something you don't want to hear, especially from somebody you respect or you love. You have that fleeting moment in your head where the blood's rushing or your heart starts pumping faster, and and it, that's why I think this fourth wall, the way they do it, is so intelligent and it's so remarkably done well because you feel it with her. Just like when the priest, you had mentioned priest breaking the fourth wall in the cafe, and he looks at the camera, and and she's like, whoa, what, what? It's such a great thing, because it just illustrates how close 
they're becoming. He's getting inside her head. And, like, it's just... What a great way to tell a story. It's also just interesting that she talks to invisible friends, and so does the priest. Sure. Right? Sure. Right? It's awesome. But the the last bit of the fourth wall breaking, which is the last scene of the entire show or of the second season when she waves goodbye. And I, you know, I think she's ready to move on. She's made peace with herself and she's, she's, she's made peace with that. She can't have the hot priest, but I I also kind of wanted to discuss the possibility that she could have. him. What does the Fox say? Exactly. What does the Fox say? What do you think the Fox represents? So hold on before we go into the Fox, cause I, I have a bunch of notes on it, but which is sad, right? It's sad. But so let's take a step back. Her turning around and saying bye to the camera, that isn't, to me, that's not her coming to peace with it. Because she definitely doesn't need us anymore. No, she will. So, and, and I'm saying this because you guys need to make a third season. So if you're listening, this, this will get you out of not being able to make a third season. The reason she leaves her thoughts back there is because she wants to own that moment. She's been hurt, but she knows that she's felt love and that she loved the priest. So she's saying, I don't need you guys. My, I don't need those thoughts with me now. Just want to control the moment, walk away, and that's why she's at peace. She wakes up the next day. They're right back, we're right back there. We're right back because we're, we're in her brain. But it gives her that moment of, this one's just me, guys. I'm just going to hold on to this one on my own. So, like, if it was that weird show, that weird movie, Inside Out, only one of those characters that were in the brain would be with her at that moment. Everybody else would be in the back corner. Does that make sense? I mean, I think that's, I think that's a possible possibility of it. But I, I think, you know, she's done a lot of things to improve her life. But she, that, this whole second season is about that she still really hadn't felt love. And even though she couldn't have it, it was enough to make her realize that she's worthy of love. Yeah. And that's why I, she's ready to so move So I on. don't disagree with that. I, so I, I think the, the whole thing in that episode is so – it's if you watch that episode, the tone of the show is amazing, right? So there's this crazy wedding going on, and you're like, da 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 And then the, the whole thing comes full circle around the first episode of season two where – her sister, and this is why you love Phoebe, she covered for her and announced that she had a miscarriage, which is, I mean, such a beautiful thing for a sister to do in, the, in that moment. But it comes full circle at that moment at the, at, the, at the wedding. But the best part about that show is the flirting, right? Like, just the way the priest and her are, they've kind of, like, broken down the barriers of the priest and broken her barriers down. They were like willing to love each other, which I thought was so cool. And that's gut-wrenching. It's gut-wrenching at that bus stop because you can tell they're both in love, but he loves a fox. And that's the problem is that God is a four-legged animal. And that's my theory is that the fox is God. Whoa! And that, uh, yeah. God's chasing down the priest, my friend. I have I have the exact opposite. You think that's Satan? Reaction. I think the fox is an embodiment 
of sexual desire or mm. I guess anti celibacy, and that's why the fox is ch- the fox is chasing him. It's it's kind of like yeah. It, I guess you could also say it's the devil on his shoulder. It's 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 his yeah. It's the embodiment of his, of his sexual desire, and and that he's he want he really wants to be celibate and wants to go with God, but this but these foxes keep showing up in his life, and that and and they keep reminding him that like hey, you want some of the good stuff over here? I I got it for yeah. you. And that's what, and that's what I think in the in in that last scene. It's interesting that you know she tells him, yeah, he, he went that way. Mm-hmm. So maybe she still thinks that she's got a chance to uh, to turn no, him. I don't think so. I mean, call it what you want, devil, God. That fox represents that a spiritualness that is. Mm-hmm. Can, I mean, not to get biblical, but this is Job in the making. God throws tests at you, man. And and I'm speaking, of course, as the priest. He he's getting tested, and he failed, just like Job. And so he had to um, reconcile that. And those foxes and God or devil will always follow you wherever you go. Forgive the. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to forgive yourself, but that's why that fox will always be there. Does that make sense? For sure. But it's it's again you know you we t- you touched on it earlier. This is getting way too deep. It's just so interesting. You know I don't know how any Catholic or church. You know I mean I guess Catholics are the only one that have uh, you know where the priests have to take a celibate vow at least that I know of. Could watch this show and r- really castigate him for for having his feelings like that that it's just so so real to me. And and it just it shines such a light on what an absurd vow that is to not be able to feel the love and and yeah okay you get but you got the love from God and the light of God but it's to to feel to have to feel that your whole life and the, but then also have the loneliness of not sharing it with another physical being is crazy to me. Yeah, I mean I faith and God and belief and what we do because of of those things man that could be like a whole nother podcast because it it doesn't just stop it I mean quite honestly you start peeling back some of the other religions of the world not having sex is actually pretty easy compared to some of the other things that religions make you do that's without judgment you know sometimes you call to a higher power and giving some things up as a sacrifice to show your love for that superior being or, or, or God. I don't, I don't know if they're superior or not. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I, I just think it's a, it's, it's one of those things where I have my own opinion. Like, I don't think I could ever survive it because I'm just, I don't have, I don't have enough willpower to push away a cheeseburger, mm-hmm. but I mean, there is something to be said about, even the priest in this show, the strength it took and the faith and the power of that belief to have this incredible thing happen to you where you fall in love with this energetic, beautiful, sophisticated woman and to say to yourself... Flawed. Flawed woman. Yeah, no <laughs> argument. Flawed. That's the best part about it is that she's real. She's a human being. You make this great connection where you're breaking the fourth wall. You're getting into her mind, and and at the end, 
in the end, you go, but, but my faith tells me something else. And believe what you want here or there, that's powerful. I think that's part of the human condition that it's just so interesting. And, and just mm-hmm. when I see him and, I, and, and, and her react, I mean, it's so subtle. Like, I think the reason she walks away walks away from a camera at the end is because she needs that time. She needs that pain and joy that she experienced kind of to just deal with it on her own without the rest of her thought, the thoughts. And I don't know. I thought it was excellent. That, that whole thing, that whole relationship is, is just electric. I mean, it's, it's exhilarating watching. They have such incredible chemistry. Just anytime that they're on screen together in the cafe and the rectory, and the confessional, all of it just hums, man. It's, I don't know if they have, who knows, relationship off screen. But, man, it's its so vivid and real. It, it just, it hums. Yeah, yeah. She has other good relationships, too, that are kind of, they start off weird and, 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 uh, and, and really positive. There's, there's one that really surprised the shit out of me. Was the bank manager? Yeah, it's awesome. The way the way they meet, it's hilarious because he kind of the way he acts is this kind of mellow finance guy, and I don't know how you felt when she started lifting up her shirt when she was sitting across from him to get the loan, but I was like, "What? What, what are you doing?" Yeah, like, I think I would have had the same reaction that he did. Like, what, what, what are you crazy? Why are you crazy? And then you find out there's this whole history with the yeah. bank. Yeah, it's just funny. Yeah, because the bank had been investigated or sued for sexual harassment or something, and she's she's running. She's late to the appointment, so she's running. She's hot. She's sweaty. And she, they're going through her loan application, and she lifts up her sweater like she's you know needs to peel off a layer. But then she realizes she doesn't have another layer. It's just her bra, and he obviously interprets it as an advance. She's willing to do a sexual favor to to get this loan and Well, it only works because he admits that the bank had issues where they were getting sexual yeah. advances for loans. Yeah, and he's yeah. like that sort of thing doesn't work here anymore. And um it ends amazingly, right? Where <laughs> here I got to find it so I get it right. Well, no, she she gets up and he he call, she calls him a perv. A perv. And it's it's so quick. It's so quick and back and forth. He he says <laughs> She says perv. She, he says slut. And he just looks at her and goes, wow. Wow. You know? Yeah, it's so great. Yeah. He, he, his, I mean, granted, there's a little bit of like that show magic because they meet each other again on that episode where he's, or she and her sister, her father, their father had bought this retreat to kind of mentally recalculate. And he's at another retreat where, I'm not exactly sure what the hell they're doing. Yeah, that but didn't they get seem to like... scream "slut" a lot. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't seem to be a way to reform that behavior. It just um, seemed really weird. That was that was if you're talking about fictitious, you know, show creations. Having yeah. those those two uh, retreats right next to each other seemed to stretch the imagination just a little bit. But that just yeah, that, the tag. She, she has that very tender conversation with him at that retreat and yes he says i i want to move on i you know i want to go home i want to i want to hug my children i want to and he says i want to apologize to everyone and she just says something very fitting 
I, I just want to cry all the time. And you can see that, you know, she's very strong. She's very, she's got a whole of uh, so much bravado, but she's just sad, just sad all the time. Mm, man, I, and, but I don't then read it, her that way. That's so interesting that you read her that way. I don't read her that way. Yeah. But then it's all, it's all, it's, it's encapsulated in that last scene of the first season when he stops by the cafe on, well, on accident, I guess she's she's almost getting ready to commit a boo. She's about ready to step out into traffic, and he comes up. Yeah, and he's talking. She's talking to him in the cafe, and you know, she says she's fucked. Um, you know, I fucked the cafe. I fucked my family, my friend, and my body is the only thing that I have left to make me feel wanted. And might as well kill that body because there isn't anything anything that's worse than someone who doesn't want to fuck her. You know, she's I fuck everything. Everyone feels like this a little bit, or and they're just not talking about it, or am I completely fucking alone? And in that moment, it's just it's like her lowest point of the season. She's had to reckon with her friend's death and her sister calling her out on it, her sister not believing her that that Martin uh, kissed her, and the only person that she can tell the truth to is this bank manager. Yeah. It's it's really interesting, and even if you again, like I was saying earlier, she doesn't even tell the man she loves about this, or can or can feel the the need to confess it to God, but she can talk to this bank manager. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, they they come from the same place in a lot of ways, and and to me that that's really cool. And I love how their story progresses throughout season one, season two. Another person that just made such a great impression on me really complimented the show really well was uh the actress's name was Kristen scott thomas and she was mm-hmm. belinda she works for the same company that her sister works for i believe and and is receiving this award for a, some type of accomplishment best woman in business yeah and she does a nice job of saying that it's just a bullshit award but what ends up happening is Fleabag follows her out of the office carrying this silly award that isn't really the award because, again, Fleabag broke the original award and gave her that statue that statue of her mom's bust that she stole from her godmother. So that's how they connect the dots to get to this Belinda character. But they end up having a drink together at the bar, and it's just such an impactful conversation and of course, Belinda is like almost like this mentor along the path, right? Like almost mm-hmm. like a prophet. And and um, Fleabag's really confused by it, right? She she automatically just wants to have sex with her because she's a lesbian, and and Fleabag is flies. Uh, I think she's bisexual. So well, anybody who gives her any form of positive attention, she's attracted to. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, but the things that um, Belinda says to her, like this philosophy that she spews, it's just super interesting. And I just think it's a real powerful moment in the show. She talks about how women are born with pain inside and that men have to seek it outside. And one of the greatest lines that she has is around that she misses 
flirting and that people flirt with danger. Like that when you're in a room full of people, there there's this mystique, this, this danger when you flirt with somebody that you don't know where it's going to go. And that people are all you got. And I just thought, I just thought she kind of set a great tone in the, and it was in episode three of the second season, Mm -hmm. this kind of like milestone. And it was Mm -hmm. just, I don't know. I thought it was really cool and almost gave Phoebe permission to explore this thing with, with the priest and Mm -hmm. for all of the, you know, how it ends that she can't be with them. At least the experience was worth it. And I thought that was, I don't know. It started with Belinda. That was my yeah. interpretation. Yeah, it was. It's definitely a, a, a kind of a pivot point in in her psyche, for sure. But the the two relationships that we haven't t- really touched on yet, I mean, we have briefly that we really need to discuss are the relationship with her dad and the relationship with her sister, because obviously yeah. those are the two most important people in her life, and they, they even, I think, it's it's pretty interesting that she's they're the two people that she has probably the most love for but yet she's seems like always kept them at an arm's length or vice versa and the we already talked about that first speech that she gives to her dad when she comes home drunk that that in that first episode it's a great speech um, but there's all there's just so many very interesting moments the they they have a memorial lunch for her mother at, mm-hmm. at the dad's house. And so uh, again, awkward. aw- awkwardly, the, the godmother is there trying to very try to steal the show throughout it. But the dad gets up to give a toast. And he, again, he's just kind of this emotionally stilted man who can barely finish a sentence. And yeah. he just stands up and he says, you are my daughters. And that's it. And it's just like, thanks dad. Um, Good toast dad. but he well so he does have some amazing lines he does so he does kind of stumble and bumble especially when the godmother's around but when she's not around he's pretty clairvoyant with them or with her with phoebe i don't i don't ever see him with the other sister yeah so there's this one great line he says and i can't wait to tell my daughter when she's 33 and i'm it not able to construct sentences she go he he says fucked up by their fathers when it's so often the other way around and he's talking about Phoebe kind of complaining that she's fucked up because of him and i just man that what a powerful statement yeah um i thought it was really cool but he is an i mean he plays it really well like this simple quiet guy who's confused by having girls i mean he doesn't yeah. know how to talk to them or communicate with them other than to get them these feminist tickets or counseling sessions or retreats to weird places where guys yell slut at him. They, they, they hint at that, you know, his first wife was very much like Phoebe. And then his second wife is obviously this very controlling woman as well. And so, yeah, he's just got all this emotions inside that he just doesn't know how to let out. And, you know, we see that at the after the fiasco at the gallery and the at the end of the first season, he's Phoebe's leaving the event and he, he runs into her dad and he he's crying at at his car. Yeah, and they start to have this conversation and it seems like he's 
kind of coming around to her and it, you know wants to forgive Phoebe but then he sees the godmother and he says I you know I I think you should go and that just I think that cr- I mean that just crushes her in that moment yeah. then we get to the second season and she at the at the the dinner scene on that first in that first episode they have this really interesting interaction outside she goes out to have a smoke and he comes outside and he says you're not you're not being naughty and I, you know he he wants to know why basically and she says because it doesn't matter you know what yeah. what i what i do it doesn't doesn't affect you i can't i don't like this it, it's not so many words i don't like this woman but mm-hmm. i can't stop you from from your feelings i just also at that as, as far as stilted conversation the one that really cracked me up was when he's given the toast at the at that dinner he's, uh, he's yeah we're here at this family gangbang. Yeah, I just, I just want to say very much, and that's uh-huh. <laughs> that's it. I just love that. Well, I think it's because that godmother's looming right over him. But the, it all comes around in the end, uh, you know. At the, we also have a, a nice, sweet interaction of of the two of them at a, a flashback to his his wife's uh, funeral. But they're now at the at the wedding. And he's he's nowhere to be found, and he's stuck. He's got his foot stuck in the plaster up in the attic. And he yeah. says, he says that he was up here looking for a mouse because he put a friendly trap up here. And I thought that was interesting because I think I don't know if that story is true that you know the mouse trap is up there, but I think he kind of feels like he's the mouse and that he's worried about being trapped by uh, this other woman. But he. He has a lot of love for her, but he 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 sees that she's controlling and that she's uh, you know a little bit overbearing, but that she's also you know she makes him happy. And I, I just thought that was interesting. His his cold feet there definitely are, are coming through. Well, that he's probably wondering why his daughter knows what his penis looks like from that <laughs> sculpture. <laughs> he he says a couple other things there that that I, I just loved, I, and I thought you were going to say this when you were talking about your daughter. He says, "I love you." But I'm not sure I like you all the time. Yeah, you that's know, a good I, one too. But I like my daughter, so I can't say stuff like that. Yeah, um, I love and like my daughter. But the most the most poignant thing he says is, "I think you know how to love." He says this to Phoebe. I think you know how to love better than any of us, and that's why you find it all so painful. Well, I like that one too. Yeah, that was a good one. It, I, and it's just again, I, I just find it interesting that. You know, she's seemingly been estranged from this this person that she loves the most, and she just doesn't, I guess, know how to engage with with him uh, all the time. And it's you know the the dad talks that he likes these things about her, and uh, that that remind him of his mother, and he tells her to hang on to those bits. And I, I just I, I really just love that progression of that relationship throughout it. Yeah, he doesn't make it entirely easy either mm-hmm. as far as, like, the way he is with her, especially when the godmother comes along. and It doesn't seem like a guy that really is conflict-oriented. I think he just kind of no. goes with the flow. Yeah. Um, but her, the sister, Claire, man, is that – she's fun to watch. And yeah. I got to tell you, the, the I mean, she had a lot of good se- uh, scenes – but the one where she has that ridiculous haircut, 
I mean, I was uh, I was laughing, and then when they went to the barber shop, or I'm sorry, barber shop to the salon, and the guy, the stylist, I guess they're called. I don't yeah. know. I haven't had hair in years. Goes, look, if you want to change your life, change your life. And she's showing the picture from the garbage of the exact same haircut off a woman that she brought in. And they're like, oh, yes, sorry. Uh, We'll see you next Tuesday or something like that. I thought that whole progression was just pretty good comic relief. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting because, you know, she loves her sister, but she obviously hates Martin, her her, her husband. Husband. And, uh, you know, he wants better for her. And I, I loved that exchange that she has with Martin uh, the first time we kind of meet him where she, you know, she's wants, uh, he wants a favor from her and he's like, what are you, what are you going to do for me? He's like, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell her that you've been watching gangbangs. And he says, please don't do that again. Like <laughs> I just, yeah. I think it's, I think it's so funny that not only does he say, please don't do that, but it's something that she's done before uh, as well uh, just right. thought that was funny yeah hold on i gotta find that quote because it is amazing because martin is sitting there and they and they walk into his office at home and they both walk into his office and he's like oh great both both the women i love in my in my office and phoebe turns to the camera as she's thinking and she goes gangbang asians i put a tenor on it and I thought that was so good. And then to bring it up later, where he's <laughs> and Martin is hated. I mean, he is a hated character, but I love him in this. He is—he's just so much fun to watch. He's very good at the role that he is given. But yeah, yeah he is a—he is a piece of shit. But the other—he's so good at it. So good. At so it. good. Brett, yes. Brett, Brett Gelman is the actor. What, is he in anything else? I, not that I know of, but I, I know he's, he, you know, he has been and stuff, but nothing that I've, uh, I can recall at the moment. Okay. The other, the other thing that is hilarious around his, uh, around Martin is this son that he has that's 15 and gets into the bath yeah, with his yeah. mom <laughs> and yeah. his mom's well, like his, his stepmom, stepmom, sorry, yeah. stepmom. She's like, no, no, no. And then there's this really weird scene in season two where he's like wearing almost like a harness. Is he wearing a harness? Well, he's got a he's he's got a bassoon. He plays the bassoon. Oh, that's right. So, yes, I'm sorry. It's it's a harness for the bassoon to hold up the bassoon. So he comes up to they hug. They hug Phoebe and then they're all walking away. And then he turns around and goes back to Phoebe and like whispers in her ear, like make sure they break up or something, or that he leaves make them. Sure, make yep. sure that he leaves them. And she turns to the camera and is like, "That boy's gonna murder somebody." <laughs> I that was, and the kid plays it so well. Like, yes, this well, kid the, is gonna murder somebody. The first thing that the kid says almost every time you see him on camera, he goes, "Where's Claire?" Yeah. And he's just got this really like vacant stare. And that pays off at the end when he pays he plays a bassoon piece at the wedding, yeah. And and the, the hot priest says uh, that piece is t- entitled "Where's Claire?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I wanted to talk again again a little bit more about the relationship with his with her sister with sure. Phoebe's relationship with her sister at that memorial lunch. 
Phoebe springs on everybody and that Claire is is in line for a promotion to go to Finland and you know Claire hasn't told anybody about this but Claire says I'm not taking it and you know she says you can't I can't just fuck off on an airplane and leave your weird stepson and broken sister to fend for themselves and I just you know we already talked about the weird stepson but and obviously uh, Phoebe as well but I just thought that was an interesting line and, and definitely telling of, of her uptightness that she still has the sense of responsibility for, you know, it's the stepson of this guy that she that she's married to that she hates and her sister that she feels that she can't move on in her own life. And, but that, you know, we see that develop throughout the, uh, the second season when Phoebe again, kind of takes this miscarriage as her own, and and tries to to try to get her to go to the hospital, and they seem kind of better after that. Uh, you know, she sets him up with the again another interesting titled person. She sets him up with a lawyer who's in the t- in the credits is called the hot misogynist. Yeah, and they they have this fight at Claire's office though. It thinks, you know, Phoebe thinks that things are getting better, but you can definitely see that Claire kind of instigates it because she's she feels trapped in her own in her own skin or in her own place in life and she's starting to become jealous of phoebe and she you know she lashes out at her that you're always funny you're always you know you've you've got your friends and phoebe says you know i thought we were hanging out as friends and she, we're not friends we're sisters and I thought that was interesting well claire is dealing with the fact that finland claire is there too in her face and they're obviously yeah. a, there's obviously a connection between them two because he loves her pencil haircut and all this other stuff. But that was an interesting thing. This flamboyant, like, in-your-face guy who's, who looks really jovial and fun is really smitten by the sister that's kind of quiet and even-keeled. And yeah. I think, you know, she, when when she's back at their office and they're, they're having that discussion, she's realizing that she, she wants to be with this Claire guy, but that it probably won't happen because she's not like phoebe yeah they have this interesting discussion at the wedding where she's trying to after she's finally had it out with with martin at the wedding and it tells her that you know they need to they need to separate or she needs to leave him or he needs to leave her but they're they're having this discussion as they're sitting in the in the seats at the wedding about you know go go run off run through the airport and she says the claire says and it's kind of the the final moment where they of redemption or extension of love. She says, the only person I'd run through an airport for is you. And it's just a nice, that's cool. Again, yeah. 180 of, of their relationship at, you know, the, because the first time we really meet Claire is at that feminist rally and they, they couldn't the even hug. End, yeah, <laughs> she goes, to, she goes to give uh, Phoebe a hug and Phoebe slaps her in the face. <laughs> so funny yeah uh, yeah that is good how powerful was it when claire gets down like martin says in that uh moment where they're off to the side from that wedding and martin Mm -hmm. says i'm not leaving you unless you get down on your knees and tell me you're out Mm -hmm. and without hesitation she gets down on her knees and goes i want you out and it was just like boom you're done you're done the writing here is so good and the acting is so good that after 12 episodes of Martin being an absolute piece of shit 
and just being the most loathful man you've ever met. He gives that speech. He says, you don't like me, and that's been breaking my heart for 11 years. I'm a douche, but I make you laugh, and I think the thing that you hate about yourself is that you actually love me. And in that moment, like, did you have anything? You, no. you didn't. You're shaking your head at me. You, you <laughs> thought it was all an act. I don't even like where you're I, going. I thought I would. I mean, like, I had like a, an ounce of empathy for him. That, that there, that you know, he's he knows he's fucked up, and he uses his outrageous. I don't even want to say comedy. His outrageous persona uh, to cover up for his flaws. And sure, doesn't make it right. For I'm definitely not advocating for that but it's just it was human and and i saw you saw the human there right yeah i agree i think he became super desperate and he realized that like a lot of us you know you overshoot your mark and i think he overshot his mark with the girl he got and then kind of just abused it and didn't cherish it didn't take care of it and ultimately it backfired on him and that was the fleeting moment the last last hurrah to try to save it and it obviously didn't work but so did you have any other favorite scenes lines moment and probably should only keep it to what three tops because yeah I've only, could, I've only got a we could be here for for days i think i just need to talk about the wedding again i i don't know what to say about the homily other than just to read it i, I just think it's beautiful and it's poignant And so allow me to read it. Love is awful. Love is painful. So no wonder we don't want to do it on our own. If we're born with love, then life is about choosing the right place to put it. It takes strength to know what's right. Love isn't something that weak people do. Being a romantic takes a hell of a lot of hope. When you find someone you love, it feels like hope. I I mean, I just... All of those words, and especially just the, the way he starts it. He's at a wedding, and he comes out with love is awful and love is painful. And we, we already talked about what she says, what, what her dad says to her, that that's why it's, you, you're, you're the best at love, and that's why I think you find it all so painful. It's, it's just interesting to hear that echoed by a different character. It's, you know, love isn't easy. And here we have this priest who's fighting with everything he's got not to give in or well, I mean, he's already given in, but he's trying to get back to what he, he knows best. And to give this homily, this speech, I I just, I, I think it's really incredible. The other part about it that really got me was love. You know, if we're born with love, then life is about choosing the right place to put it. And there was also a, a, a line earlier in season two when they're at her mom's funeral. She says to her dad, I've got all this love for her, and I just don't know what to do with it now that she's gone. And, you know, I feel that. And, I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I bring this up all the time, you know, with my, with my father's death. It, it, I, I definitely have this need to still talk to him and still have love for him and i and yeah it's it's really hard sometimes to not to to just not be able to call him and not have it it just feels like i've got something i need to say something i need to feel wanting to give him a hug and you just can't do it and that hurts and 
Yeah, I think that that when you similarly when you're in love with somebody and the, and it's unrequited, it can it, it's very painful. And I, I think that's similar to what she's going through and what he's going through in that moment. And I, I just I, I think it's a great writing and a great performance by him. Yeah, I I remember when he starts off, I thought he was actually headed towards like a break breakdown like he was mm-hmm. like uh, he like he was going to profess his love for her and then he turns it around and turns it into something very positive it was it was really good are we flipping back and forth do you want me to give you one yeah note? go ahead sorry that if that's uh too heavy for something more lighthearted. But... oh man this has been a deep deep one this has been this obviously has touched a nerve on our sensitive <laughs> side this this scene came after phoebe's telling you how her boyfriend harry he uh, he always leaves something behind, and she's shuffling through some things and kind of cuts to a scene, and it's it's really a sexy scene. It's 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 done super well. She, Phoebe's sitting on the toilet using the using the restroom, and she starts talking to to the you know in her thoughts, and and the words are just amazing. She says gotta think about all the people i can have sex with now now granted she does this a lot better than i can i'm not obsessed with sex i just can't stop thinking about it the performance of it the awkwardness of it the barrier of it i think it's barrier the moment you realize somebody wants your body and then she tops that off with not so much the feeling of it oh man it was so just (laughs) like I don't know. I thought it was a very powerful scene, and it kind of let sent shivers down your spine. That she, you know, she was she. It was a conquest, and I thought it was. That's oh, about the you know. She's she's more into the chase. The chase, exactly. Um, and I thought that was just super well done, and it's mm-hmm. it's erotic. It's sexy. It's it's really cool. It's, similarly, uh, it, it, they also had this in the a good bit about in the one woman show when she's taking the photos of herself and sending them out, yeah. you know, as as uh, lures or whatever she says. Uh, it's pretty pretty funny. One of the last things I wanted to discuss was the the bus stop scene again. They're sitting there, kind of wordless, and it, earlier at the, before the wedding. He's talking about how he, he he's got this feeling and he doesn't doesn't know what it is and she says is it God or is it me and he's like I don't I don't know and, and he, they go off to the wedding but now they're back at the bus stop it's after the wedding he's given this homily and she says it's God isn't it and she professes his love for him and he says it'll pass and when you look at his face though I don't I don't believe him there. Um, you know, he, he's, he's saying that, but he's got some sorrow when, when he says it, but he gets up and he, he, he's, he's walking off. He decides he's not going to take the bus with her. He's going to, he's going to walk because the bus is going to take too long. But, you know, he turns and says, I love you too. And, you know, he's got a tear running down his face and not much to it. They say so much more in their, in their faces and the, in the anguish, but it's just, it's, it's just a perfect capper to, to their relationship, I think. And really hit me. Yeah, I thought I, we can talk about this a little bit later. But is there still room for him in the next season? Does he survive this somehow? 
I don't know. I I think there's options, but let's let's save it for in a couple of minutes. Um, hmm. I I only have one more because I think I've covered a ton of my favorites in this one. I'm gonna go back to the uh, part with counselor who was played by Fiona Shaw and, and is known as the counselor. And they hit this point where Phoebe goes, well, I just want the voucher for the money because my father got me this. And she goes, stop joking. He goes, no, I want the voucher for the money. And she goes, well, it's too late for that now. So she ends up staying there. And so she's like, so what's wrong with you? And she goes, I want to fuck a priest. And the counselor's reaction is so awesome. <laughs> she goes, a Catholic? And he, she goes, yes. And he, she goes, a good one? And she goes, yes. <laughs> I thought that was so just like just classic writing comedy. It was it it just brought the show to a great halt, and it was just it was really cool. Well, before before she before she tells her. That that it's a priest that she wants to have sex with. She said, you know, that she's asking the questions, and Fiona Shaw says, "Is he in a relationship?" And she says, "Yes, a bad one." <laughs> and right. Fiona Shaw says, "How so?" She said, "It's it's the sort of relationship where one tells the other how to dress." <laughs> I just thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of them in this. The counselor goes, uh, "Tell me about the sex," and she goes, "Oh no, I just play tennis now." <laughs> like it was just yeah. like oh yeah great writing all around it's a great scene and, and the, the camera work is amazing they flip yeah. back and there's forth a, there, and stuff it's it's pretty cool i know we said we had we had we were done but there's a couple other just real quick ones and they're they're all around sex and her sex life but the, the when she's the, the asshole guy is is breaking up with her and he says you're like a very sexy plank Yes, <laughs> yes, just, that is so. I just that was so funny, but the she, the, there's a this this very quick kind of uncomfortable look that she gives the camera after he says that, like thanks. <laughs> but it's so funny. The other one around people's shapes is when she's she's having sex with the bus road, and, and she's she says it's like having sex with a protractor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, good. Funny. It's good stuff. All right. So, what what is your favorite episode? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, I think that first episode of the second season is just so incredible. It's this, you know, all the other episodes are these very quick scenes, quick cuts, and this episode is the only one that kind of takes place just in one setting, and they're all at this restaurant, and everyone's all together, and it's it's a lot like succession or uh some of these other shows where when when the all the gang gets together it's just electric in this succession every episode's about that where everyone's getting together but um the, it's just unreal it's you know we meet uh andrew scott the, the the hot priest and there's just this chemistry going on between him and her immediately but it just kind of builds and builds and we have the uncomfortableness of the father and there's a couple of early interactions between Phoebe and and Martin, and they're they've got this whole thing where they're not drinking, and but he's sneaking off to the side to get drinks, and she catches him doing it, and it just builds and builds to the scene where there's obviously still the tension between Phoebe and Claire about Martin, and 
she says, Phoebe says, it's not, they, they are having this discussion and it's not what you believe in. It's who you believe in. And in that moment, Claire says, Oh fuck. And she, you know, you think it's because she's been called out by uh Fleabag or Phoebe, but she goes to the bathroom and she has a miscarriage and she, but she hadn't told Martin about this miscarriage and it, or about the baby. Or about yeah, about the baby, excuse me. And they go back to the table. She's got she's got Claire convinced that we need to go to the hospital and and she's kind of knowingly nods and they start walking back to the table, but Claire for whatever reason, cuz she I guess she probably still doesn't want to admit to Martin the, of of the pregnancy. She says, "Nope, let's sit down." And she starts having drinks and the and the wine starts flowing and it's incredible that Phoebe is the person that's like, this is so fucked up yeah. because it's, it's a move that she would make. And, but she amplifies it by taking credit for the miscarriage or, or, you know, cause she wants this charade to end and someone, you know, whether she, whether Phoebe goes to the hospital with Claire as a chaperone or vice versa, she, she wants to get Claire to the hospital and it ends up with <laughs> everyone getting punched black eyes all around and you know you're just like by the end of it the 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 tension has risen to a point and that's when everyone starts punching each other martin says this incredibly hurtful line about the baby knows what it wants and it's a goldfish out of the bowl situation and it's just i mean he deserved to be punched for sure yeah it was incredibly insensitive i mean to, to to say something like that at that moment but you know it get, gets turned around on him later in the season when she says the baby knew what it wanted it didn't want to grow up with you as a father basically but that whole episode just this bottle episode there and i just i mean it's it's what if it, when i'm point to great television in the past 10 years that this is one episode that stands out above almost everything on that i've seen yeah, I don't disagree. I think that was that was the one I was going to suggest. Close second to me was the first episode of the first season. When you go through the opening scene and you have no idea what the show's about and you realize you realize that scene concludes and you're like what did she just what just happened like what did she just say that was crazy and then that that scene in the in the bank where i mean first she she meets the bus rodent and then she's running to meet with the bank and that awkwardness when she raises her shirt and the guy you can just see like it was just a hard scene to watch and it evokes such emotion out of just just all of it seemed to cascade and, and and you're very similar to uncut gems you were kind of like got through this roller coaster where you weren't exactly sure where you were heading and it has these beautiful moments where she meets with her dad and her dad has a great line and then i'm super curious the story that she she tells to the camera but you don't get any more detail wait and then she calls her out her sister that she shat in a she shit in a sink I'm like, I want to know what happened. Like, sounds amazing. Is it, what, is it something like, when are you going to stop bringing that up? When you do something better? better. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just thought it, and 
a lot of episodes do this. You know, the shock and awe. They pulled it off really well. It, mm-hmm. So I agree with you. That first episode, you could almost you could almost do a movie around the first episode, season one or season two, where mm-hmm. it's a family with some awkwardness. I mean, I thought they just pulled off a really nice job, and that's my favorite. So, yeah, what what didn't you like or had issues with? I know that it's not a very long list, but what do you think? You know, I I I really have. A hard time. I, I think some of it is 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 a little too cringy at times, but in 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 those moments, it's definitely uncomfortable. But when you when you pull back, there isn't much that I would take out or revise. I thought some of the episodes in the second season were were a little bit slow, but then they they'd have segments that were a little bit dull. But then she'd go to the rectory and, and drink gin and tonics with the priest. And it was like, man, it, it just slaps. And I saw so there's not much that I, and again, yeah, the made me roll my eyes. The, the therapy session with the, the men having it right next to the, to the, the quiet women's and they're yelling slut whore bitch. It was a little over the top. Yeah. I, but uh, we already touched on that. Yeah, so um, I don't have a ton. I I didn't I didn't like the boo stuff. I already talked a, a little bit about that. You know, when you take the story, the priest kind of does it to himself, right? He I don't know if it's a if it's a thing where he thinks he can control it, but he does invite her over. He it's kind of a setup only to fail, and I don't know. If there's, it's a it's a small nitpick, but at the same time, he goes through this whole thing and then ends up at the starting point all over again. And I I'm not sure that in reality that's how it worked. I I would have thought that the priest would have left for true love. He would have left the church or whatever. The priest that married me, well, he left the church shortly after my wedding. Not with anybody he met at the wedding, but uh, he had as. I like to think he thought that he thought that the, the the wedding was so beautiful that he wanted to taste a little bit of that as on his own. But I want to I want to go back to the Boo thing really quick. I I, I thought Boo had one of the the most in, uh, interesting lines or moments in the entire episode, entire show was when they're talking about. She says that's why pencils have erasers. erasers. Yeah, it's a good line. And it's just what because they're talking about how a boy. Um, did unholy things with a gerbil with a pencil. That's right. And, she, and Phoebe says, "What to to fuck gerbils?" And she says, "No, to to erase our mistake." Yeah, she. I mean, she has some good things and is used as a good device. I just don't like the fact that you had to have. It's it's hard enough to lose a friend that you're you're close with, and and. Didn't have to add the dynamic that she had cheated on him and, or her in some kind of way there. I, I thought it was more poignant to not include that. But apparently that's based in reality. I don't – somebody was – was it you or somebody was saying that a lot of her – a lot of this was written out of her own personal experience. So I can't imagine that was, but I, – Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it definitely seems to be somewhat autobiographical, but I, I don't – 
uh, I don't know for sure. I, I, you know, I think she's pulling from a lot of different experiences in life, and you know, maybe not all of them are her are her own. But final analysis. What I mean, obviously, this is a show we liked. We've talked for almost two hours now. I've redeemed myself from dark because of this this recommendation. Yeah, you know, I'm always. I mean, until you really, you until you screw up again, like taking a shit in the sink. Uh, I'm always going to hold dark over you. But to me, I mean, you had Ted Lasso too, which was which was excellent. And, and this is in the same. It's not. It's in the same genre in that. It has something more to say, just like Ted Lasso had something more to say about people and how they interact and how we care about each other. This story kind of has the same aspect. Now, granted, it's maybe the rated R version where Ted Lasso's the rated G version, but... Ah, there's, there's some there's some F-bombs in Ted Lasso. Yeah, sure, sure. All right, so PG-13 to rated NC-17. She's, it's just a great story and presented extremely well because it doesn't, it's not all about shock and awe. There's heart and sophistication. It tackles some interesting things that I don't think a lot of, a lot of shows are comfortable attacking and it's just a pleasure to watch. For sure. I've gushed enough. I I mean, I really think this is. I feel bad that I never recommended it to you earlier, but yeah, this is this is one of my favorite shows of all time, and it's definitely in the top five of shows from the past five to ten years. And I throw out a lot of superlatives a lot about these shows, but th- this is one that is I think is going to stay up there for a long time for me. So let me ask you this: in a show like this, which character do you relate to the most? Wow. Well, it's kind of funny. I I see a lot of people I know in these characters. Give me names now. Yeah. <laughs> um but this is this is odd, but I I think I relate to the priest the most. Really? In that there's it's it's just that overwhelming feeling of love that you can have for somebody. And whether it's requited or not, just that that feeling at when you're first in that relationship with somebody, or when you're or when you're deep in that relationship with somebody, when you really love somebody, the the feeling that evokes in you, and the way he relates to it, I think I relate to the most. But his excitement for it, in but also his excitement for the love of God is 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 very something relatable to me. Yeah, there is so you know movie magic in it, which I thought they did really well. Was uh, when uh, Phoebe says to him, "Well, I don't believe in God," and the painting off the wall of God falls down, and he goes, yeah. "I love when he does that." Yeah, <laughs> and then it, exactly it, it comes again when they're in the confessional. I think. So, who do you relate to the most? Man, you know, I, it's hard for me to admit it, but I think I relate the most to the dad. I have kids that I don't know that I I can just imagine. You know, when they're first born, I you you do everything for them, and they're they're your life, and 
you know, you, the relation you relate to them, you, you know, you're, you, and as I, I, as the kids are getting older, I'm definitely the guy that, that struggles with relating to them. Cause I don't have pop culture. I don't know, you know, that they're going to my, they're going Mach 10, you know, I'm barely mm-hmm. driving 55 and they're, and I could see the dad in some instances can talk really well and really poignant and has good things to say to their kids. But in other moments he stumbles and and is like tripping over his own words. And man, do I see that a lot in my family where I think I get it. And then I realize I have no fucking clue what I'm talking about. And, and these kids are looking up at me like you buffoon. And, <laughs> I I just it it's shocking that you know if you would have asked me ten years ago fifteen years ago I probably would have said uh, I'm I'm the rodent on the bus <laughs> but now I'm the dad you weren't the you weren't the asshole the arsehole guy no no <laughs> no I don't know it's it, it's uh, crazy dynamic with with how how they they all shed these interesting personalities and how they change over the time of the show yeah I, and that's you asked early on if if there's going to be a third season and i'd love for there to be but there's definitely closure for almost everybody they all they already set the precedent of accelerating a year right they could do the same thing mm-hmm. accelerate a year and maybe maybe the show can end on a pot like a healing like maybe Phoebe and the priest are good friends now and they can handle it and maybe there's somebody in his maybe there's somebody in their life and it might be interesting like a like a four or five year or even ten year leap you know maybe they'll do this in four or five years from now where she's married but now she's starting to have doubts and the priest is there. Maybe the priest is the one that married them. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm sure they could. They, they can throw in all kinds of stuff there. But so Slavic, you've given me two amazing gifts. You you watched Ted Lasso for me. Yeah. You, you watched at my recommendation. You watched Fleabag for me, and you allowed me to speak for two plus hours on on both of these shows. I want to be a giver. You got to give me a show. You got to give me an assignment. We we have to we have to watch something well. that moves you the way these move me man i don't have shows like that you you are definitely the shining light in that now i will give you a show to watch it's just i can tell you right now it doesn't have the same gravitas that the (laughs) that ted lasso and fleabag had my wife and i have been watching hunters with al pacino which i've already talked about so that's that's the one that i have you seem to have this innate ability to find shows, watch them extremely quickly, formulate good opinions about them, and then not tell me about them for two or three years, and then make me rush and watch them. It's such a gift. Yeah. Well, I've got another yeah. one. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's going to be one that I haven't heard of. I think next you need to watch Atlanta. We're, we're going to do Hunters. We're, we're going to uh-huh. do Hunters, but I, I need you. I need you to watch Atlanta. Empty promises. But, so then, so then you got to come up with another show, and then okay. after that, right. we need to discuss Barry. 
Uh, do you know you know what Barry is? It's it's a show on HBO, and it stars Bill. Oh Hader yeah, he's from, the from, he's an actor that's a, um, assassin. He's a he's a hitman that wants to become an actor. Yeah, I've seen the first season of it. The second season was really, really, really well done, and I, I but I loved the first season. Um, yeah, I, you didn't like that show? Uh, no, I liked it. I just, of course, the, I think it was what three or four years ago that it came out. I think it was maybe three years ago, and the second season was twenty nineteen. Okay, and then they were supposed to have a third season last year, but it COVID shut them down. Hmm. All right, yeah, I can watch that. I've I, so I'm familiar with it, so. Yeah. I feel like I'm 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 hip now. I feel like I I I got one. I feel, I I think it's similar to Fleabag in that it's it mixes this screwball. It's kind of more screwball comedy yeah. than than black comedy, but it mixes the screwballishness with just some amazing drama at times. One scene in particular in the first season blew me out of the water, and I I couldn't believe that. Again, this guy who's Saturday, Bill Bill Hader from Saturday Night Live. I didn't. I had, had no idea he had these, these dramatic. Oh, he's acting got some great range. But yeah. I struggle a little bit with the premise. I don't. Oh, it's definitely stretch your imagination. Though. Yeah, the whole idea of him being a hitman and, and wanting to be an actor just seems so silly, and it's tough. I believe there was an episode where he had to kill somebody and then run to acting class, and the the prick teacher that was the acting teacher was getting on his crap for being late. And how, how dare you call Henry Winkler a prick? Yeah, no, I come on. It's America's dad. He he jumped the shark. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I mean, everybody loves him. Well, maybe 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 well, that one's down Have the road. You, but there's a third season. There's a third season of that coming out sometime in the next year so I, i'd like to do the first two and then we, you know we can we can do three and four as those come we out. watched a show a few years back that i'd love to get back into i don't even know if they're still making it but it starred paul giamani and daniel lewis i think and it was called billions <laughs> have you heard of this show yeah, I've heard of this show, but it's not. There's no Daniel Lewis or Daniel Day Lewis in it. It's uh, it's got the guy from Homeland in it, the uh, Brody from What's Homeland. What's his name? Isn't it I Daniel Lewis? The redheaded dude. I can't think of his name. I thought it was Daniel Lewis or something like that. My bad. I wasn't ready to talk about Billions. I know it's this new show that all the youngsters are watching. Damien Lewis. Yeah, so I wasn't that far off. That's pretty good for you me. Weren't. I'm sorry. You, I <laughs> think I get an apology for that one. That was pretty close for Slavic. Yeah. Have no, you been? Um, no, it's in. I've never watched that show, but I've I've heard a lot of people talk about it. I want to see that Timberlake sure. movie with the little kid. And here you were riding me for saying that. I think that's a Wade movie. Did I say that before? Yeah. Yeah, you said it on a podcast. No. I. It looks like a movie that I would like. Hmm. I like Timberlake. I have a I have some kind of weird weird liking of that man. That came out really weird, but I heard he didn't come off so well in this Britney documentary that's, that's floating around out there. I haven't watched this, but I heard Timberlake come came off as kind of a There's a Britney documentary? I'm going to yeah. tell you right now. 
after the Tiger Woods documentary, I am not watching a Britney documentary. I don't care what happens in her personal life or what she... I mean, this poor kid was, I mean, taken as a little kid and forced to dance and sing and be a puppet on strings. And now we're going to dissect her life and and judge her in some kind of way. That totally doesn't sit right with me. Actually, I, I think it's got the opposite tone of the Tiger Woods documentary in that it's more about how she was exploited. And it, I think the title of it's called Free Britney, actually. Uh, um, uh, so. You know what, though? Damned if you do, damned if you don't. There's no... You can't you can't have a stand one way and then not the other. I get it. She was She's a victim, but l- let it be private. Let her struggle through her life i mean i don't know just doesn't leave a good taste in my mouth to watch these shows about people that have been taken advantage of or haven't had framing britney spears but anyhow we've gone from phoebe waller bridge all the way down to britney spears i think we're we've got a couple of different levels here yeah so is there any movies that you're watching anything coming up movie wise I watched On the Rocks with Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. That was interesting. wasn't great. Not podcast-worthy. But then we also watched over the weekend Palm Springs, Andy Samberg and Christina Milioti. It's kind of a Groundhog Day rehash. But it was uh, it's cute. It's fun. But way sexual. A lot of, um, a lot of coitus. Cool. And I was, I was watching it with my mom. And I'm 40 five and uh yeah wasn't the most comfortable of watches when there's oral sex going on and i'm watching it with my mom yeah Yeah. i can imagine that wouldn't be very fun how about you so i watched the other day infinity war Hmm. i'm still amazed that they pulled pulled that off the way they did it's just it's amazing yeah i i a couple weeks ago i watched infinity war and endgame in the same weekend I didn't watch them back to back, but and yeah, I remembered having not so much love for Endgame, but in revisiting it, yeah, there's some silly things. But Infinity War is really, really, really good. I think Endgame falls off a little bit because it just does a couple of silly things, but in the end, yeah, it, it just it's it's an achievement to bring all these people together and 23 movies that lead to this. I mean. That's insane. You know, we talk about we. Everyone laughs every time the Fast and the Furious comes out with another movie, and oh, they're up to nine. Well, guess what? This is twenty-three movies, and yeah, it's not necessarily sequential storytelling, but they all tie in, and it all pays off. Like in that end game, there they give every character a payoff from the previous twenty-three That's movies. Right. It's it's incredible. That's incredible. Incredible. And it all makes sense. That's what's mind-boggling is that you know that it it all connects some way. Now, if you look at every all the stories told in the twenty three movies, they don't all pan out. But but man, you can forgive a lot of it. You can forgive a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Have you watched Wandavision? The the one that came out Friday. Yeah, I did. Have you? New. No. No. Um, big reveal. I'm sure you you might have known it. You might have seen it by now if you've. If you're anywhere near the internet, no, you, you're so connected. What's that? You're so connected. I haven't seen anything. 
Other uh, than yeah. there's a backlash around Gina. Well, like you were saying earlier today, that your YouTube feed is filled with Gina Carano stories because no, you probably clicked minute. on one or two of them. Time out. One story in my feed is around that, and I don't remember clicking on any of them. Well, my Facebook feed it seemingly is filled with WandaVision theories, spoilers, Easter eggs because I click on every one of them. So, but yeah, there was a there was a big a big reveal at the end of this last episode that I think you need to check out. It, and it it comes off it, it it's very interesting the way they do it. It's it's very comical, and I enjoyed it thoroughly due to certain TV shows that I watched growing up. I'm gonna leave it at that. Huh. Do you have a favorite TV show that you have when you were growing up? Is there like one that sticks out that you're like super fond of? Like, I, and I'm not talking. I'm not talking like when we were in high school and and in college because that's obviously Seinfeld. But before that, yeah, you know the 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 one I, I'm all right. So I'm just gonna say it that I I loved watching the Munsters growing up. And there is a Munsters shout <laughs> out. Sorry, sorry, everybody. In, I didn't in mean WandaVision. <laughs> didn't mean. What ask. do you mean? It's a the great Munsters. show. That's the Munsters. generation before you. Yeah, but the reruns were on all the time, and I loved it. I loved Herman. I loved Grandpa. I mm. mean, it was great stuff. You getting excited for April? April's got baseball. Baseball's coming up, huh? You ready? Crickets. Mm. Crickets. Mm. Yeah. I'm out. How about March Madness? You getting up for March Madness? You know, I, again, I, Michigan is having one of their best seasons they've had in many years. They got a great team. They're number three in the country. They beat number four, Ohio State, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch. You didn't watch it? Nope. No way. Why not? I I don't want to be the bummer, dude, but I got a big problem with it. Big problem with what? That they're playing during a pandemic? I'm very happy. I'm very happy that they're playing well. I'm happy for the kids. I I read all the stories. I listen to podcasts about how they're doing. I have a big problem watching because I just feel I'm supporting something that I that shouldn't be happening right now. I just I just think this whole thing with sports has sent the wrong message to the greater public that it's okay to go outside and, and, and do whatever you want. And I think that's why we're still a year later in this pandemic. I think if, if all of us would have shut it down in March of 2019, we all stayed in our houses as, as ridiculous as that may sound. And as bad as that would have been for the economy, I I think we'd have been out of this by now. If we'd all just stayed home and, and stopped worrying about when the next baseball game we could watch, when the next football game we could watch, that's just my take yeah i don't know i disagree with you sometimes good basketball game good baseball game when it's televised i don't think they should have people in the stadiums but it just shows that normalcy can come back and that gives people something to cheer on and gives us something to talk about i mean i don't know i've 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 said it before when 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 the biggest reason that you're playing an event is because you can't afford not to, that you're playing for the wrong reasons. Yeah, maybe with that. So thanks for depressing the shit out of us. 
if you guys haven't yet and you made it through this whole podcast without watching Fleabag, shame on you. Number one. But number two, thanks for staying that long on the podcast because this is a long one. This and is a long one. Check it out. Fleabag is amazing. It's worth a second watch. I'll probably end up watching it three or four more times. Phoebe, if you're out there, great job. This was a, this was a home run. Wade, if the hot priest is out there, do you have anything you want to say to him? I liked Andrew Scott when he was Moriarty and Sherlock. Revisit that, too. All right, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll see you later. Take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye. That concludes the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'd love to get your support and your opinion of the podcast, so please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Deep Shots Pod and on Facebook, Deep Shots Podcasts. Email your comments, opinions, and future show suggestions at deepshotspod at gmail.com. Stay safe. Much love. Bye.